0: In just a moment, I want you to get a name or two or three in your head this morning. And I'm going to give you the characteristics of the name that you're going to decide and uh, of that name or two or three that you're going to be thinking of. Number one, here's what it has to be. It has to be somebody that is found in Scripture. So that narrows it down. It's got to be a, a, a person found in Scripture. Secondly, it's got to be somebody in Scripture that is mentioned in at least Four books of the Bible. So not just maybe this one time mentioned somewhere, somebody that, that is there and you're going to find them in multiple books of the Bible, either Old Testament or New Testament. And lastly, they have to be well spoken of as passionate followers of God. So somebody that was spoken well of in the Bible in those mentions. Now they could have a, a mistake or a fault or a failure. They don't have to be perfect there. Other than Christ, there's no one in the Bible that's perfect. So try to think of a name, somebody in the Bible, get that name there, because I'm gonna try to guess and see if I, how, many, how many of them I got right, you'll raise your hand. Somebody in the Bible mentioned in at least four books, so multiple books, and spoken well of, the overarching testimony of their life. How many of you have a name, at least one in your head? You have somebody from the Bible in your head. All right, how many of you are like, that's too early in the morning to be thinking that much? I don't know how many times he, was, he or she was mentioned, so I'm, I'm not playing this game. And if you have one in your head, let's see if I can guess, anybody? The name Jesus came to mind. You had that there. Excuse me. What about the Apostle Paul? Anybody think of Paul? We've got some Pauls. David? Oh, a lot of Davids. One second. I'm sorry. Try not to cough right in your ears through the mic there. What about Moses? We had some Moses. Abraham or Isaac or Jacob there from the Old Testament. Peter, James, John, any of the disciples? You had that? Let me just see. Let's look here. How many of you, the name that came to your mind was Aquila or Priscilla. All right, we have somebody that heard the earlier message this morning, or you just like that name. That's, so we've got one, one uh, and, and somebody that was in the sound booth at the 8.30 service raised their hand there. <laughs> Aquila and Priscilla, fairly unknown, somewhat obscure characters, but they were vital to the beginnings of the New Testament church, specifically to the personal ministry of the Apostle Paul. Aquila and Priscilla... Are mentioned six times in scripture across four different books. And we're going to look at those references today. And I want to bring to you a message this morning entitled, The Backbone of the Body. The backbone of the body. <clears throat> the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. And so uses the analogy that we would have of a husband and a wife says that christ is the bridegroom or the husband and we are the bride and one day he's going to come back for his bride we're we're a spouse to christ if you will and he's going to come back for his bride and and we'll have the marriage supper of the lamb in heaven And we'll enjoy that time that's a good reminder for pastors by the way i heard a little clip of a pastor preaching a powerful message and he talked about the fact pastor the church is not your bride They aren't your people, you're God's people, you're not my people, and the church is not the bride. My job on a Sunday is not to draw you to myself, my job as a pastor is to bring the bride and the bridegroom together, to draw you closer to God, to help encourage your relationship between, and this pastor, he asked a convicting question, and he said, at the end of his clip, he said, I believe one of the most convicting or powerful questions that many pastors will be asked when they get to heaven, Christ will say, what did you do with my wife? How did you mistreat her? And how how did you not bring her closer to me, but closer to yourself? So, the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ, but it also uses the analogy in the New Testament of the body of Christ. It says we are all members in Corinthians of one body. We are the body of Christ. And it talks about that all of us have a part to play in the body in starting point, that class at nine o'clock. We're talking about that next week. We are the body of Christ. And it uses the analogy of the eyes, the ears, the, the mouth. The, we, we all have different parts to play. The truth, and today we're going to talk about the backbone of the body. That, that thing that is really what gives much of the strength to the body, stability to the body, that thing that keeps it upright and moving. And, and if you've ever been flat on your back, you realize if the backbone is not doing well, your body cannot function the way that it should. The, church, the truth of the matter is when we <clears throat> think of a church, We often think of the pastors, or the leaders of the church. If somebody's visiting our church, just this week I was talking to somebody, and I say, oh, what church do you go to? And then they'll tell me, oh, where's that at? And and I might say, or they might say, oh, my pastor is, do you know my pastor? Or I'll say, who's your pastor, and try to see if I, and often maybe if, if you're talking to somebody at your church, oh my, and often the one that's known in the church is the pastor, or some of the leaders, and I'm thankful for godly pastors. The Bible says if God's given you a godly pastor that that ministers in the word, that's a gift from God. The Bible talks about that we should should esteem a a godly pastor as a servant that should be esteemed highly and and, and with great regard for their work's sake. So this is not a message downplaying the gift of a good godly pastor, but the truth of the matter is, we're gonna see it here in our verse-by-verse study through Acts, the strength of every strong church is found in the Aquilas and Priscilla's. Those who may never preach a message, may never be in the spotlight, but they are faithful to the ministry, the ministry of prayer and of of faithful to the word, generous, passionate about pleasing Christ. If you will, turn with me this morning to Acts in chapter number 18, and we're going to turn to a few places this morning to look at the different references of Aquila. But we're going to find the first reference, the first mention of Aquila here as we're continuing in our verse by verse. This is message number 55 or 56, I think, in Acts as we're going verse by verse through the book of Acts. We're gonna go to Acts 18. A few weeks ago, I preached through verses one through 11 about commitment over comfort, and we saw that. We're gonna look at just a couple of verses here. Let's look at chapter 18, verse number one. Acts 18 verse number one, the Bible says, and if you don't have a copy of God's word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. I always encourage those that are in church, follow along and see God's word for yourself. That's where the power in any preaching is. And if you're following along on a phone or a tablet, I'll be reading from the King James Version. If you'd like to follow along, Acts 18, verse number one, the Bible says, after these things, (coughs) Paul departed from Athens And came to Corinth. We talked about this a little a few weeks ago, but just for sake of review, let's throw that missionary map up there so we can see. So Paul here in Acts 18, you can see it toward the left, middle, um, where the big letter says Achaia. Right below, there's a dot. It says Athens. So Paul leaves Athens in Greece, and he goes over to Corinth in Greece. There, and he comes over Corinth, a wicked culture, a vile culture, a city, a godless city. And culture. And Paul preaches the gospel and, and a church gets founded there. And Paul will later on write two letters back to Corinth, the church, the first and second, what we call first and second Corinthians, letters back to that church. So Paul has just left Athens and he's come to Corinth. Notice verse number two, and he found a certain Jew named what church? Named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife who? Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded that all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. So Jews were kicked out of Rome, and so they end up in Corinth, and Paul comes to Corinth from Athens. And because he, Paul, was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. Paul, in a new unfamiliar place, preparing to minister the gospel in an ungodly culture, wicked Corinth, and he comes, and in God's providence in scripture here, They mention what we would look at as really just plain, normal craftsmen in the construction industry. They were tent makers. There was, nothing real, there was nothing real impressive about them. They weren't, that we know of, they weren't necessarily wealthy or, or super powerful. They weren't leaders in the church. They didn't have much to offer us. For, but God in his providence puts them in here. And as we were studying, I was thinking about moving forward into verse 12 today, but I began to study the life of Aquila and Priscilla. And I was so challenged by their life and their testimony What we see here is really what we would call just plain normal craftsmen, but they were far more than that to the work of God. And this morning for a few moments, I'd like to preach to us about what are the types of people that make up a strong church? What does the backbone of the body look like? The Bible says that Christ is the head of the church, we understand that, but a pastor might be a more visible, maybe the mouthpiece or something that we see and, and makes a lot of noise and is more visible, but the backbone of a church, what does what the backbone of the body look like? What do we see in the lives of Aquila and Priscilla? And we're gonna learn some things and I want you to ask yourself, And sometimes we feel like, well, that's the pastor's job or the missionaries or this or that. And I don't know that I'm that important. I don't really matter. I don't know about, and we're gonna see that the opposite is true here in Paul's life. Paul doesn't only mention them once. Luke mentions them here writing, but Paul mentions them multiple times as well. I want you to see a few things about the backbone of the body. Those that make up what we might call the salt of the earth or those that make up the strength of a church. What were Aquila and Priscilla? Number one, we see they were hospitable. They were hospitable. Do you see it there? It says in verse 3 that because he was of the same craft, he abode with them. They opened their hearts and their homes to the apostle Paul. At this time, maybe they knew who he was, maybe they didn't. The, the Bible doesn't really tell us. It just says, it didn't say their connection was that they were waiting for Paul. It just says because he came to town, I believe that probably Aquil and Priscilla had established a tent-making business there. They were getting their business off the ground, and that's what Paul did to make money while he preached the gospel. He came across and found out, oh, we do the same thing, and they opened their homes to the Apostle Paul. They opened their hearts, and my challenge to you as a Christian, welcome people into your lives. The Christian life was never intended to be lived in isolation. The Christian life was intended to be lived in community and to grow, and we invest in iron, sharpens iron, and you get to know people, and you pray with them, and you weep with them, and you rejoice with them, and and you love them, and you help them. Welcome people into your lives. Take them out to eat. Invite people into your home as you're able to, and send a text and pray with people. Help them when they are in need. I see here of Aquila and Priscilla. They were hospitable, but not only that. Notice what it says. It says he abode with them in verse 3, and... Rocked. I see number two, they were unselfish. They were tent makers. They were the same craft. Steve, you know what they could have thought when Paul came to town? There's competition. Hey, you're not taking my clients. You're not going to come. But I see here, and, and, and I do believe that I, they, were pro- they may have been saved here with their interaction. I believe they were probably saved before, but the Bible doesn't tell us abundantly clear. But what we see is they were unselfish they didn't view other people and other believers coming from somewhere else as competition well what's wrong with them we've got to keep them at arm's length oh no you're a tent maker come work with us let me help let's help you get some work for you they were already there in Corinth and trying to get their business established and Paul wasn't a competitor he was a co-laborer for them and you know in our churches It's it's funny, when you get to another country, as I've visited several foreign mission fields, you get to another country, especially a place where the gospel is scarce, where there aren't a lot of gospel preaching ministry. Some of you have traveled to other mission fields like this. You know what happens when you're a believer? You find any other believer you can to fellowship with. When the gospel is hard to come by, you rejoice in anybody that believes like you do. And you know, the more a place or a region or a country gets the gospel, you know what seems to be the natural tendency for us as believers is? The more gospel we have, the more reasons we find to divide with one another. I can't fellowship with that, and I'm not talking for, about unity at the sake of compromise. I'm not talking about unity over doctrine, but here they, they, they wrought with him. Paul, you're not a, a competitor, and I would just say as Christians, and we're building something here, but I would just say as Christians, don't view those around you, everybody as a competitor, trying to, what angle are they trying to get at me, and, and we're not, we, the Bible says rejoice with them that do rejoice, weep with them that do weep. May I suggest God's blessing, church, and get this right in your mind, God's blessing is not a limited commodity. God does not have limited resources up in heaven and every time he blesses someone else you have to figure out why they don't deserve it because well that, that means God has that much less to to bless me with and God somehow only has limited blessings and when he pours a blessing out and I'm not even talking about financially I'm just talking about any blessing he pours out on another family well that must mean he has that much God's get rid of that scarcity mentality and when you believe that man I'm the only like Elijah I'm the only one left that loves God what will when when I'm the only one left that, that really cares about what's happening. When you get that mentality what happens is other believers become competitors. They become somebody that you have to take down. Somebody that you have to tear down. Instead of somebody that you're working with, we're on the same team trying to build the same thing. And the backbone of the body I see with Aquila and Priscilla in this first mention of them, they, they, were, uh, they were they they were were uh, hospitable people. They were unselfish people. It wasn't about God, only me. No, when God blesses someone else, God, rejoice of About that, we are co-laborers, not competitors. Now skip down to verse 11. How long does Paul stay here? And according to what we see in Scripture, he may have stayed in their home this entire time. Look at verse 11. And he continued there a year and what, church? And six months, 18 months, teaching the word of God among them. Then skip down for sake of time to verse 18. He's about to leave Corinth. Notice he stays there the the longest period of time. He, He has stayed anywhere. Verse 18. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria he decides to go into Syria and notice what the bible tells a little detail it tells us and with him who church priscilla and aquila having shortest head in centria for he had a vow the bible tells us when he leaves corinth they go with him i see number 3 the backbone of the body are people that are committed to the work of god they're committed it, I don't know all of the dynamics, but it might have been more comfortable to stay where they were in Corinth. They had business set up. They had been there for at least longer than 18 months. Paul stayed there for 18 months. But they were committed. This is what God is leading. This is what God wants. They were willing to make personal sacrifices so that the word of God could continue to go forth in great ways. And, and I think we should ask ourselves, can God count on us to, we're committed enough to do whatever it takes to get the word of God out in whatever ways he calls us to. Paul could definitely count we're going to see it here in a minute, could count on uh, uh, Aquila and Priscilla and their support of the work of God. Can you and I, can we be counted on by the spiritual leaders in our lives? Now skip down to verse number, or look at verse number 19, continue on in the story. Verse number 19, and he came to Ephesus, Paul does, he gets to Ephesus where we have the letter to the Ephesians, and he left them there. He leaves Aquila and Priscilla there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. So Paul leaves. And I love this part of the story. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. He's coming toward the end of his second missionary journey. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia, Phrygian order, strengthening all the disciples. Verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. There's another great preacher. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit. Man, this guy sounds great. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only... The baptism of John. So this was a man that loved God, that preached God, that was fervent, that was mighty in the scriptures. But he was lacking in some of his doctrinal knowledge. He didn't have the full picture of the gospel of Christ. And I want you to read verse 26 aloud with me, if you will. Acts 18, verse 26. Ready? Begin. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Whom, when Asquilla and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Verse 27, and when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come helped them much, which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced, this is Apollos, mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. What a great passage about Aquila and Priscilla. Paul takes them, he sails to Ephesus, and Paul says, I'm leaving, you've got to stay here. Why? Because God knew that that Aquila and Priscilla had a work to do there in Ephesus. They had already been a huge blessing. We'll see it in a a future reference here. A huge blessing to the apostle Paul, so much though that he took them with him when he left. But now is their time to be a blessing to somebody else. And Apollos is preaching the Bible. He's bold. He's fervent. He's preaching scripture. He's going to the synagogue, similar to Paul. But he doesn't quite have it all. He, He has some zeal without some knowledge. And you know what we like to do when somebody has zeal without knowledge? A lot of times we pour water on their zeal and we, make, we criticize their lack of knowledge. What did Aquila and Priscilla do? They, took, they heard it and they said, wow, this guy reminds us a little bit of Paul. I think that's what they said. The Bible doesn't say, that's my opinion. He kind of reminds me of Paul. By the way, other times Paul says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. Apollos was a pretty influential man in that time reaching a lot of people for Christ. But you know what? Hey, let's help him. Instead of let's criticize him, let's encourage him. Let's show them what God has shown us. Let's help them. And I see the backbone of the body, not only, not only is it are they hospitable and unselfish and committed, but number four, I see they were godly people. You know what this part of the passage about Aquila and Priscilla tells us? What they did, they did for God and not man. Because when Paul was gone, they're still doing it. It was they were not serving Paul. Now they served Paul, but they were not serving Paul, they were serving God. And when Paul left, their job, well, Paul's not here anymore. He's not watching us. Oh, no, I, I don't live for God so my pastor can see I live for God because the love of Christ constraineth me. And, and, and they, they were godly people that did it for God. They kept serving even when Paul left. Not only that, they were gracious people. They were helping that zealous Apollos who lacked some knowledge. Rather than criticizing him for where he was wrong or how different he was from Paul or why he shouldn't be doing what he was, they loved, lovingly, the Bible says it this way, took him unto them and graciously taught him. And by the way, look at the effect in verses 27 and 28. The Bible says he was an unbelievable blessing after this to believers and unbelievers alike verses 27 and 28 says, he was a great help to the church, and many people came to Christ. Why? Because there was a godly, quiet couple, husband and wife, godly, quiet couple that, that never preached, that we're aware of, preached a message, was never known by anybody, was not, but they, they they served with Paul, and then with Apollos, hey, instead of, let's find what's wrong with them, let's criticize them, let's make fun of them, let's, let's be lazy, because Paul's not watching. No, God has given us something to do. There's a man we can invest in. Nobody will know. It but he's gonna go impact many lives by the way. What else do I see with this godliness? They knew their Bible, they knew their Bible better than the preacher Apollos. They knew scripture, they knew truth, they knew doctrine, church family. Well, that's for the pastor. I sure hope he studies, I hope he does too, but it's not just for the pastor. You ought to be daily in the Word, and as a believer, growing in God's Word, and growing in your, your love, and your knowledge, and your passion, and growing, and not just growing in knowledge, but growing in application, and it's coming out in your life. And this couple here, they were committed to truth, and they knew it. Turn with me, if you will, the next book over, Romans chapter number 16. Romans in chapter number 16. Not only were they hospitable and not only were they uh, unselfish, they 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 weren't competitors, they were co-laborers. They were committed to the cause. They were willing to make personal sacrifices. They were godly people, knew their Bible, were gracious, helped, didn't criticize, did it for God, not man. Look at Romans 16. Romans chapter number 16, verse number one. Speaking of just the unknown faithful servant that was the backbone of the body. Verse number one. I commend unto you Phoebe. This is another one that, again, we don't know much about her, but the Bible puts her in here. Our sister, which is a servant of the church. Boy, that's a, that's a great thing to be said. The backbone of the body, unknown, unknown men and ladies that give their lives to serve God and his people. Verse two, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you for she hath been a a succorer of many. She's been a helper of many and of myself also. What a great testimony. The backbone of the body, this lady that has helped so many people including me, Paul says. Verse number three, would you read it aloud? Ready, begin. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus my helpers in Christ Jesus and notice what it says in verse in verse number 5 likewise i'm sorry verse number 4 who have for my life who have for my life goes back to unselfish laid down their own necks unto whom not only i give thanks but also all the churches of the gentiles that's beautiful By the way, in my opinion that I see from recorded scripture, I don't think Priscilla and Aquila traveled to all the churches of the Gentiles. I think what Paul is saying is every church that I impact is fruit that abounds to their account because they laid down their lives for me and greet them. And it's not just me, but all these people that I'm going around to all these different churches, they say thank you because without them, I wouldn't be able to do what I've been doing. Without them, he said, they've been my helpers. They, they've they been my, my helpers. They, they've laid down their lives. Number five, the fifth thing I see about the backbone of the body, those people, the, 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 the strong, quiet, unknown ones in the church, number five, they are involved, involved. He says, my helpers in Christ Jesus, they were not passive spectators. Paul is saying the work that I have done, as the, he wouldn't say this, but the greatest used man in the New Testament history, aside from Christ, couldn't have been done without them. Paul, on multiple occasions, singles them out as being essential to his ministry. And in the Greek word right here for that word, they've been my helpers, that Greek word, as you study it out, is the idea of, of fellow laborer, co-laborer, a partner in the work. They have been a co-worker, a co-laborer, a partner in the work they were committed involved in the work and here's my question to all of us again we talked about this a little bit at starting point today we live in a consumer society everything I'm a part of it's what can I get out of it I I have my Costco membership so I can get free samples I have my country club membership so I can I can golf I have this membership over here at the fitness center so I can use their equipment and it's our all of we look at everything what can it offer me And he says here, that's not how Aquila and Priscilla looked at it. It was, how can we, what can we offer to the work of God? They were involved. Are you truly committed to the work of God? Or is our involvement with God and his work stopped with a 90-minute commitment of time on Sunday morning? They were all in. When there was work to be done in the ministry, they were always around, committed. What a testimony of a couple. Greet them, he says, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own next strong churches, church, are filled with contributors, not consumers. And again, our mind almost always with that goes to financial, and I think that's a part of it. But that's not what I'm talking about primarily. Yes, we ought to be generous with our our giving, and we see that they, with our resources, and we're going to see that they, were, but that's primarily not what I'm talking about, but the idea of, I go to that church for the way the music makes me feel, and the pastor's kind of funny, and they have great children's programs. Strong churches are filled with Aquila's and Priscilla's contributors, not consumers. They were my helpers in Christ Jesus, active participants, not sideline spectators, in the next month or two, as we get the platform remodel and the new choir loft, we're gonna relaunch our choir. I'm praying there'll be 70 voices and, and 10 people that play instruments. Now there's a small, if you don't know how to play instrument, that's not for you, all right? But, but we, I wanna see that choir loft filled and bringing glory to God. And when announcements like that are made, you know what our first thought should be? Not, boy, I sure hope somebody does that. It ought to be God. Is that something you want me to be a part of? Now everybody in the church can't do everything in the church. It's not what I'm saying. But the mindset would be God, What gifts have you given me that you want me to use to contribute? that you want me to use to be a part of that. We're going to be launching a new ministry structure in the fall where we're going to have weekly Bible study groups and, and, and teams for service. When you hear about those, will your thought be, well, I sure hope somebody else does that, or will you plan to get involved as God has gifted you and led you? My mom and I, I didn't grow up in church, but at the age of nine, I was reached for Christ. And once my mom and I got saved and I started going to church, it was, this was all new to us. I had been to church that I remember twice before I, I got saved in my, whole, my, my nine years of living, almost 10. And I'm, I'm so glad that once we got saved, she, just started to, she decided to start attending church every time the doors were open. I'm thankful for that because I began to grow. We started going uh, to Sunday school, and then three times a week we were in church, and and when she heard about outreach opportunities, she was there yesterday. Thank you for all those that were able to help with the Liberty Loves, and we distributed hundreds of meals. Had that been in our church when we first got saved, my mom would have been right there, and all right, we're gonna be a part of that. That was her mentality, and, and, and the bus ministry, we joined that within about six months of there, and she joined the choir. If there was a youth event, she had me there, and because of her involvement and commitment in those formative years. I believe, is one of the big reasons I'm here today doing the work of God that he has called me to do. If my children see a lack of commitment to the things of God, I shouldn't be shocked when they grow up to embrace the same. The backbone of the body, they're involved. Turn with me. You've listened well. Let's finish. Look at the last two places they're mentioned. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Not only are they involved, look at 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. It's the end of his first letter to Corinth a few years later. And he just mentions them one time in one verse. It's kind of his end where he's he's greeting everybody and he's saying goodbye to everybody. Notice what he says. 1 Corinthians, his letter here, chapter 16, verse 19. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila, isn't that interesting? Of all the names he could mention, Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. What do I see? Number six, the backbone of the body. What kind of people make up a strong church? Number six, generous people. Whatever they had that could benefit the work of God, they used it for his glory and for the furtherance of the gospel. Do you see it there? With the church that is in where? Their house. We've got a place the church can use to meet. Come on in. God's given us a, a house. Paul, bring them. Let's start a church right here. Whatever God had put in their hands, Aquila and Priscilla were the type, God, it's yours. However you want to use it. Now, by the way, they still got blessing out of it. They lived there. It doesn't mean you have to become a, a pauper or a, or a monk and, and a, take a vow of poverty. And God, you have every... Di- they still enjoyed that for their own, their own family. There's nothing wrong with them living in their home, but it wasn't their home. It was God's home. God, you have it, and and it's open for you. What has God given you or, or me that we have used for our gain and for our comfort, but we really haven't given it over to God to use in any way he wants to? It might be a material possession. It might be finances. It might be a Bitcoin. The cryptocurrency is kind of popular these days. Just one Bitcoin would cover our church budget for like half a month. Anybody have one in your pocket you want to throw in the offering today? Go for it. I don't even know if that's a real thing. Can you hold one? I don't think you can hold them. They're all like in the, in the blockchain somewhere. I don't even understand it, but I'm going to get rich off of it. So you pray for me, all right? <laughs> It might be a skill or a talent or a connection or some experience that you have. It might be something that you have and the things that they had, Aquila and Priscilla, were not theirs, they were God's. God, you have allowed me to have this relationship. You've allowed me to have this experience. You gave me this skill. I developed this skill with the mind that you gave me. How can I use that for the furtherance of the gospel? God, you gave me this vehicle or this this money, whatever it might be. This is not a message of give all your money. This is a message of give God access to everything he has given you. They were generous. The things they had were theirs. They were not theirs. They were God's. The last place will turn. 2 Timothy chapter 4. The last place that they're mentioned. 2 Timothy chapter 4. A few books later. And this is an interesting one. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. It's only four words long. It's kind of funny that's in here. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Verse number 19. I want you to read the first Uh, Four words up to Aquila of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. Ready? Begin. Salute, Prisa, and Aquila. That's Priscilla, and and they shortened it there. Salute, Priscilla, and Aquila. That's it. The end of the verse says, and the household of Onesiphorus. That's kind of weird. Well, Pastor Ryan, what does this tell us about them? It was put here by God. Why? It doesn't give us any characteristics, does it? Doesn't tell us anything they had done. The other one said, they helped Apollos. They helped me get off the ground and and make ends meet. They gave me a place to stay. They provided me with some food. They laid down their necks for me. They sailed with me to Ephesus. They opened their house to a church. The other ones all tell us some things about them. This one just says, salute them. In my opinion, what I think one of the big takeaways of this is it does tell us something about Aquila and Priscilla. When did we first learn of Aquila and Priscilla? Back in Acts 18, during Paul's second missionary journey, when was 2 Timothy written? More than a decade later. What does this tell us about Aquila and Priscilla? They were faithful. They were faithful. 10, 15 years later, they're still serving God. They still have a good spirit. They haven't burnt bridges. By the way, do you think if Paul lived with them for 18 months, there was anything he ever did to get on their nerves? You ever try to keep family for like 18 days? Think about 18 months. You don't think there was ever any disagreements anywhere? They were humans. Paul wasn't perfect. You don't think they ever, at the churches they were a part of, you don't think they ever had any any difficulties, but what do we see here in, in the 10 or 15 years between the first and the last mention? You don't think they faced any disappointments, had any frustrations, hurt feelings. Strong bodies have strong backbones, and strong churches are filled with faithful people who plant roots and commit to faithfulness to God and His work. By the way, that doesn't mean God never moved somebody to another church. Almost six years ago, God moved our family to a another church and if God's leading I understand that but strong churches have people that say when I've been hurt when I disagree when I've been disappointed when I'm frustrated when I was mistreated that that I'm still going to live for God I'm still going to stay faithful we see that with Aquila and Priscilla I am this church's fifth pastor here And the church has grown stronger under different leaders. I'm not discounting the importance of leadership. When Pastor Tomlinson came, the church was in a pretty unhealthy spot and he was used of God, he and his wife, and the church family to bring great strength and health to the church. I'm not discounting the importance of leadership, but, but vital to the strength that our church has today are scores, if not hundreds of people, scattered across this auditorium who have served faithfully under multiple pastors and you served when Pastor Tomlins was here, and some of you served through the the lean years when they had uh, two voted-in pastors and three interim pastors, and it was a revolving door, and it was a struggle, and the church is still here because some people in the midst of some leadership failures said, this is our church, and we're not gonna let this lighthouse die, and today, to God be the glory, not a perfect church, but a church with a good spirit and some good unity and making an impact in our community and around the world, And, and I would say some of that is attributed to some, of the leaders of our church but much if not most of that is attributed to faithful godly uh, aquilas and priscilla's who faithfully give and faithfully serve and faithfully pray and they're unselfish and they don't view everybody as a competitor but a co laborer and they're 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 hospitable and they're generous and they're faithful they're committed and they're godly and they're involved and we see that their their faithfulness can i close by just telling you a little bit about my story and i'm thankful for my pastor Many of you know my testimony. My pastor is now my father-in-law. He was my, he's the only pastor I've had, the only church I've been a member of other than here. And I'm thankful for him. Humanly speaking, it was because of his life and ministry that I came to hear the gospel of Christ and get saved. When I got saved, the church that he pastored uh, ran on a Sunday morning, had an average Sunday morning attendance between 1,000 and 1,500 people. Over the next decade, in the decade that followed, that church grew to a weekly attendance of around 2,500. He was, in, in, in some circles, he was invited to preach in scores, if not hundreds of churches across the country and in some foreign countries, and, and with certain circle of churches, if you were to say his name, he would be very well known. He's authored several books, and, and he's been used to, to, to reach many, many people as far as the ministry there. He was invited on multiple occasions to private meetings with the president of the United States along with a couple dozen other pastors from across the country that had pastored large churches. He's prayed to open Congress. And again, not discounting his influence, I would not be here today, humanly speaking, without the love and investment and influence of him in my life. But, and, and he is the one that is known most by those that would know of my home church. But can I tell you this morning, I'm standing here today because of many Aquilas and Priscilla's that are known by nobody outside of their local church. They've never met with the president, They've never preached across the country or in other countries. They've never authored any books. But if it were not for them and their daily investment in my life, their daily personal investment in my life, their weekly personal investment following up, I would not be the, where I am today doing what God has called me to do today. I want to introduce you people like Denise England. I think we have a picture of her. And my mom is there on the right, and that's Denise on the left. Denise is a quiet wife and mom. If you went to our home church, it's a pretty good-sized church. There are hundreds of people that don't even know her, never met her, don't know her name. That I'm aware of in the 30 years she was a part of our home church, 30-plus years, a part of our home church, I don't believe she ever stepped foot on the platform of the church. Never sang a solo, never taught a Sunday school class, not known, but she did invite her coworker and her coworker's nine-year-old son to a special outreach day in 1988. That was me and my mom, and my life was forever changed because there was a Priscilla. Or what about Bill Langston, a divorcee and single dad at the time when I met him? He was a single dad to two of those three girls when I met him in 1988. The Lord since brought his wife, Terry, and they had their two children there, Zach and Lindsay. But at the time, a divorcee and a single dad and I met him on that first Sunday morning and I walked into church and he opened the Bible and shared the truth of the scripture with me and I placed my faith in Christ as Savior. You know, Bill has never and will never pastor a church. He's never preached a message that I'm aware of. I don't even know if he's ever taught a Sunday school class. He has faithfully driven a bus on the bus route year after year after year and without him seeing a visitor and walking over and opening the Bible, I don't know if or when I would have trusted Christ as Savior. Hundreds of people in in this church know my name, Ryan Thompson, but you know whose name you don't know? A sweet older couple by the name of Bob and Patsy Gardner. When I met them, I think they were probably in their 50s. She was a kindergarten teacher, taught my wife kindergarten class. He was, and, and she and her husband took my mom and me under their wings, we as baby Christians. I can't tell you how many times they invited us to their home had meals for us, answered my mom's Bible questions. He worked for a a company and and he would volunteer every Saturday and every evening in the bus barn. Our church had a fleet of 20 or 25 vehicles and they paid no one to to help with the maintenance. He did all of the maintenance along with a couple other volunteers every Saturday for about eight to 10 hours, two or three evenings a week. I can't tell you how many Saturdays he took me to the bus barn and I worked on, I really didn't work on them, but I I sat there and watched him work on buses and went and got wrenches and while my mom would be and she would be deciding and working with my mom and and she would answer those questions and, and who knows how many people rode those buses and came to church and will be in heaven because of this Aquila and Priscilla that you've never heard of and that you've never talked to the backbone of the body let me introduce you to my first Sunday school teacher his name is Carl Harder Sr he's a retired lieutenant colonel in the military that's his wife Susie When I was a baby Christian, he was my first Sunday school teacher. And this retired Lieutenant Colonel in the military would, every week, would go and study his Bible to get a lesson for fourth grade boys, about a dozen misbehaving fourth grade boys. In our church, it was was growing too big for the facilities we had, and so we didn't have enough classrooms, so we would go on a Sunday school bus, and we would meet, a dozen of us would sit on the bus in the parking lot, and Lieutenant Colonel Harder would open his Bible every Sunday, and teach a misbehaving fourth grade boy the Bible. You've never met him. Now, maybe you've heard that last name, Carl Harder, because today two of his granddaughters serve on our staff and work in our school. And you know that? Aquila had no idea as he faithfully taught the Bible that he was teaching his granddaughter's future pastor. You have no idea how God's using you to impact lives. He was just going on a Sunday school bus that nobody saw opening the Bible, and teaching some fourth-grade boys. And one of those boys would become members of his family's pastor some 30 years later. And his wife, Susie, has been a faithful encourager in my life every time she sees me. Have you ever heard of Jim Carrey? Not the comedian and actor. (laughs) The faithful high school English teacher who has taught in the same Christian school for more than 40 years. You know what else he's done for more than 40 years? Taught junior church. He taught me the Ten Commandments. I didn't grow up learning them. I learned them from him. He taught me how to polish my shoes and taught, sorry, Mr. Carey, I haven't done it in a while, but he taught me how to do it. He taught me every Christian, Christians, Christian children's song that I knew at that time because I didn't grow up learning any children's songs. Everyone that I learned was in Mr. Carey's junior church. When I got expelled from the Christian school that he taught in, he didn't give up on me. He kept investing in me and helped me get back on the right track and taught me photography and graphic design. You might say, well, I never went to Bible college or seminary. I don't, I don't teach in a Christian school. I, I don't know Greek or Hebrew. Can I really make a big spiritual difference in someone's life? I, I'm not Abraham or Moses or David. I'm not John or Peter or James. I'm not those names that everybody raised their hand. Can I really make a difference? May I say to you, the backbone of the body are Aquila's and Priscilla's. I never went to Bible college or seminary. Can I make a difference? Ask Mike Little, a successful executive for IBM and later Siemens Telecommunications, who viewed his greatest priority in life as not his work at IBM, but as his volunteer work as a layman, as a Sunday school teacher, as a high school basketball and soccer coach. He taught me how to develop a resume to help get my first job. He helped me get one of my first jobs. He took me to the dad and son's camp out at the church because my dad didn't live with me. He taught me how to drive a stick shift. He was my Sunday school teacher my junior year, my soccer coach all through high school. He later took over the singles class and poured into college and young career-age adults. He was a a very successful executive in the tech world, and to this day still, he's he's lived in China and helped lead companies and startups. Very successful, but I, I believe for me at least, his greatest contribution was as an Aquila. Yes, he made tents, Aquila did, but his greatest eternal contribution was the help he did, the lives he invested and for the furtherance of the work of God. That was Mike Little for me. Well, what if you weren't college ed- educated and you're not a successful executive? Do you matter to the work of God? Ask Don Rao, a Wonder Bread truck delivery driver who woke up every day by 3 a.m. to start his bread delivery route. He would finish by around noon, go home and take a quick nap because 3 a.m. is early. And then he would come and coach my varsity ba- baseball team, He also taught me on Sunday school one year. Every Sunday, invited us to his house for pool parties and Bible studies. I'm standing here today because a bread truck delivery driver believed God could use him to make an eternal difference in the lives of some teenage young men. Or lastly, let me introduce you to Jackie Van Dyke, a godly wife and grandmother who's been in our home church since before Tiffany and I were born. She's like my wife's adopted mom. Reaches out to my wife regularly to talk, to encourage, to pray for her, including this week. When Tiffany has a heavy burden on her heart, other than me, she's probably the first person that she goes to talk to in, in her life. After me, she'll talk with me and Jackie would be that next one. You know what, who Jackie is in the world's eyes? Most people have never heard of her. You know what she is? She's a Priscilla. To this day, every year on our kids' birthdays, they get a card in the mail. From Jackie Van Deck. I don't even remember all my kids' birthdays. On their 11th birthday, they get $11.11. On their 12th birthday, it's a card with $12.12. On their 13th birthday, it's $13.13. They can't wait till they turn 100. They're waiting for that day. And I could keep going with name after name after name. I had prepared this message, didn't know our childhood friends, Rob and Liz, right there sitting in the second row behind David and Sharice, would be here today. Liz, your, your parents have been in that church since before we were born. Liz and I, we met in elementary, we graduated high school, the same class of 14 together. Rob and I have been friends since junior high. He was in my wedding. His, her, her parents been in the same church 40 years, teaching primary church for decades there faithful, godly people. Rob's family, I would go over it all the time. They would take me on, on family vacations. They introduced me to Lumpia and Pancet and Chicken Adobo and all the good stuff. And I could go on and on and on. Oh, I'm thankful for my pastor. I'm thankful for his leadership, his love. I'm really thankful for his daughter. But do you know, without so many Priscilla's and Aquila's, faithful, godly, generous, unselfish, committed servants, I would not be standing here, and this is not a praise of me, but I would not be standing here preaching to hundreds. God may want some in this room to preach to hundreds or thousands, and if he does, that's wonderful, but don't discount the importance and the value of those who will never preach to dozens, but are used to shape and love and influence lives in the background. And so here's the message this morning, the backbone of the body. I'm thankful for pastors. I is one. All right? All right. I'm thankful for them, but the strength of the church, the backbone of the body are godly, faithful, sometimes unknown Priscilla's and Aquila's. My challenge to you, will you be a Priscilla or an Aquila? What area, when I was talking, did God challenge you in this morning? What qualities could you make some specific changes in your life? They were hospitable, and we could pull other things out. They were unselfish. They they looked how they could serve, not be served. They were committed. They were godly people, gracious people, involved people, generous, faithful. The strength of liberty in the coming years, yes, it is dependent some upon our leadership and our pastors, of course, and a pastor messing up can mess up a whole church. I understand that. But in large measure, the strength of liberty in the years and decades to follow will be dependent upon faithful Aquilas and Priscilla's rather than being passive spectators? Will you commit to being like those somewhat unknown? We had one person, I think, raise their hand when I said get a name in your mind, Aquila and Priscilla. But what a faithful, godly, generous, committed, involved, gracious, unselfish, servant-hearted couple that the New Testament, the history of the New Testament church would have been different without their love and investment behind the scenes. I want to say this morning as your pastor, thank you to the countless Aquilas and Priscilla's. And I want to challenge you. Your labor is not in vain. Your work is not unnoticed. And it's not any less important. Without Aquilas and Priscilla's, there is no Apostle Paul. Or if there is, it definitely is. If, If it didn't matter what they did, why did he mention them so often? Greet them. Let them know I'm so thankful. I owe them. I love them. They laid down their own lives for me. They were there when I needed them. I, without Aquilas and Priscilla's, Paul's can't do what God's called them to do. There is not one where well, the pastor's more important. He's going to stand in the front of the line at the judgment seat of Christ. The truth of the matter is, probably many of us pastors, if, if it's arranged by line, which I don't know if it is, we'll be far back with godly, faithful, unknown, generous Aquilas, and Priscilla's who just served faithfully. My challenge to you this morning, will you be a part of the backbone of this body? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.